City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, and it's City Limits, and I haven't got headphones on, but it doesn't matter, I know I'm talking. And um, it's um, it's the fourth Wednesday of the month, so we've got nothing particular, but we have got something particular, because Melbourne Water's coming in, Eugenia, is it not? I'm Kevin Healy, by the way, and Eugenia Zlubchenko's over there pressing buttons, and this Good week, morning, everyone. Meg's laid up with the flu. Yeah, poor Meg. Yes. Yeah, she's not oh. feeling well. Gone down. She's so. going to miss the most exciting interview we've had all year, which is <laughs> James Fraser. Yeah, he's from Melbourne Water, coming to t- talk to us about the... Um, the frog spotting program. Yeah, there's an right. app that they've developed to help uh, community members in Melbourne identify frogs and sort of do a citizen science audit of right. frog populations in Melbourne. Oh, well, good. We'll get on to that. I mean, if he's able, I mean, sometimes these people have specialist areas. I'm going to pour some tea while we're doing this. Um, there are other things happening at the moment, like Stony Creek, as apparently, which we talked about last week with a bloke from last year, with a bloke from Melbourne Water. Um, Stony Creek is apparently not not repairing at all well. It's, um, you know, people have been down there recently and said it's as bad as it was, which is the one damaged by that big fire in the middle of last year we had here in Melbourne, a chemical fire. And, and then recently there's been reports of people in the area feeling quite ill about um, ever since the fire, and the, who knows what the chemicals were in many ways. Um, and also, of course, the recent um, news about... Uh, about tips and toxic waste in Melbourne, and a lot of people being sprung for having them illegal. There was one illegal one got sprung, or it was it wasn't working properly, and so the dangers of that. And all this must what, all. What kind of waste is this, Kevin? Like it, household well, it, rubbish? Well, or? it was. This was described as toxic waste, and it's um, it's um, it's out in the western suburbs yet again, going out toward Melton or somewhere. I think. Right. But, so more industrial sort of stuff. Yes, and yeah. it's but it's um, but it was it's held in a. Yeah, you know, apparently it's a pile about the size of the MCG, and they say what? that so many chemicals in it that if it caught fire, it would make the other fire look very ordinary. That's so the, the uh, apparently the people running it, and the the problem is the people running it have gone broke, um, uh, yeah. and then the people who own the land have now claimed they've gone into receivership. So it looks like they're, they're predicting a millions and millions of dollar cleanup to do it properly, mm. and it looks like it's going to fall back on the state rather than the uh, the perpetrators, of course. Yeah, as the always. The old story. But, yeah. but all that leads to problems in waterways in the western suburbs yet again, and all, all that stuff leaking in, plus the, all the great you know the developments that keep taking place, new estates out there that are eating up the grasslands and all those rare ecology and, you know, the rare flora and fauna, and that mm. must all impact on waterways and things like frogs, I would think. Mm, yeah, yeah. hopefully yeah. the frog population will be able to be resilient enough to survive all yes, these changes. Yes, yes. Just um, as a bit of a few items for the week, uh, and that's it. Um, we did hope to have Helen Vandenberg to talk about water in the West as well, one of our regulars. But Helen now is doing a Tai Chi on Wednesday morning at this time. <laughs> so she's, we, we did, we, I did say to her last night when I hoped to get her for the show today that we will, might do a pre-record, but also somewhere in the middle of all this, there's a couple of weeks break from the Tai Chi. About Maybe we could do a live year. feed to the Tai Chi course. Well, we could. We could. Yeah. I mean, apparently also um, she and, and Josh, her husband, um, both go and he drives. So between 9 and 9.30, there's a possibility of an interview on the phone, I suppose, while she's driving along without, because she won't be in the driver's seat. Yeah, great. So that's Let's a, get that, it. that is a possibility, I guess. <laughs> um, we'll see how we go. Uh, just on other matters, though, this morning's Finn review, and I got here early enough, I, as you know, I, I managed to get here early this morning because I came on public transport. Dear listeners, uh, Kevin was here at quarter to nine <laughs> this morning. Yes, the, t- the problems of public transport can destroy a man's reputation overnight. <laughs> and uh, anyway, um, the front, they've got a, they had a bank and wealth sum, banking and wealth summit yesterday with the usual suspects, and they've got a wraparound about that. But on the front, David Murray, the ex-head of the Commonwealth Bank, now with AMP, he also wrote a financial report for the government um, a few years ago. He's come out and says we could be heading for another shock. And he says, um, 
the, the, the economy was in a much weaker position to manage a slowdown as a result of lower budget surplus, historically low interest rates, globally uncompetitive wages, and the prospect of a China slowdown. Now, um, while people talk all the time about slow wages growth and how we have to address it by workers working lots harder and all that sort of stuff, um, when David Murray says globally uncompetitive wages. He does not mean our wages are too low. He are too high. He mean, are too low. He means they're too high. What he means there is mm. we should lower wages yeah. to be more competitive globally. So that's yeah. sort of throw that one in. Yeah, because um, then because the, then we'll get more investment or industry or something. That's right. That's and right. then somehow people's livelihoods will in turn improve again oh, magically, it's, it's magic. even though we will be constantly fighting to suppress the wages. Yes, it's not magic though, it's economics. It's the way, <laughs> the way it works, Virginia. You've got to understand these I wish things. I had a tinkly sound effect I could play right, right now. Bring the delicate flower that is the economy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, but when, you, when you take the wraparound off, you get to the, the front page of the main paper, and Morrison opens door to new coal. Now, yesterday he met Barnaby Joyce to comp- you know, have a sit down and work out a compromise between their positions because the man who held up a lump of coal in, in Parliament less than a year ago and said how beautiful it was and how the, everyone else is afraid of it, but it's beautiful, uh, suddenly has seen the light, so to speak, and says he doesn't believe in coal anymore, and he, or at least he keeps avoiding mentioning the word coal. Right. And he, but he did, he did, did say that the government would not finance a coal power station a few days ago. He met Barnaby Joyce yesterday, and now he says the government the government funding a coal-fired power station is back on the agenda. So the compromise was pretty good. Barnaby said, we want coal. He said, we won't have coal. And after the compromise, Barnaby said, we want coal. And Morrison said, we want coal. So, so a, <laughs> Morrison said, OK. <laughs> it's, a pretty, it's a pretty good compromise. Yeah. But Australian just, politics at its finest. Just getting down to our... Um, our look at the Herald Sun. Now, yesterday, with all that's going on in the world at the moment, and there's quite a bit... Uh, the front page story that was the most important in the whole world, and I suppose some sub-editor thought we just need to do a rhyming thing, so let's do it. Pell, sell, hell. Wow. Pell, sell, hell, all over the front page. Oh, Pe- sell with a C. Sell, yes. For those C, of us who C. aren't in the studio. That's right, C. Yeah. And cardinal, exclusive, cardinal next to psychopath and accused jihadis. Oh, my God, isn't it terrible? And I thought, well... You know, that really is a critical story, isn't it? I mean, in the whole well, world, I'm, I'm sure people around the world are thinking, what sort of cell is he in? Oh, I was so confused. First I thought you were talking about sellers in to, to sell something, like S-E-L-L, and then no. I thought you were talking about a cell phone. No, no, But no, now no, it's no, about it's his accommodation. Prison cell, prison I see. Cell. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's poor old George. Oh, poor old George I was quite curious about what it was going to talk about, <laughs> yeah. but now no. I'm less curious. Yeah, that's right. No, it's poor old George in prison. Yeah, he's uh, talk, talking about his neighbours. <laughs> that's right. So, so he's actually in prison now. Yeah, he's he went in. Yeah, you've obviously been following the news, but he, yeah, they put him in. He's on remand. He's in the remand section because he um, the appeal's pending. But he got six years with I think three and a half or oh, something. Good. Whatever. Um, now here's an interesting little story. Uh, the poor. This is one that really does make you feel for the rich and realise that um, we do treat them pretty badly. If you don't mind my saying so, the governor of New York wants to apply a tax to properties above well, it's $7 million Australian owned by non-residents because they don't pay any tax and they don't, you know, think so. He wants to, to, to hit them with a the tax so Seems they can reasonable. contribute. And um, the bloke who's actually moving the motion, a, a bloke called Brad Hoyleman, a Democratic state senator, um, he, he, he says we have a, a mass transit system that is in crisis, public housing that is falling down around its residents and a yawning gap between the very wealthy and ordinary New Yorkers that is driving this conversation. And um, the mayor, the, the governor also said he wants to do it too because the, 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 met, the transit system and the public housing, etc., are all running down very badly and we need to fix them up so they use the riches, etc., to do that. Now, this has led to a pretty strong reaction from, uh, from the rich, to put it mildly, and um, a woman, a woman um, called uh, Onshay or something, says. In fact, here she is, Old Shan. Her name is. Um, she she's a 
a, a, a realty broker, as they call her. Um, she says it's class warfare. Class warfare, she says. Class warfare on the rich. That's <laughs> 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 what mm. she says. Class warfare on the rich, she says. And another woman called um, Rachel Ostow Lustbarter, interesting name, a broker with Warburg Realty, says the buyers may not pay income tax, but they pay plenty. They don't just buy a hot dog. They go to all the high-end restaurants, Gucci and Chanel, and are paying millions of dollars in sales tax, you see. so To Gucci and Chanel. <laughs> well, there you are. So, so that, that thing. But the other woman, the Onshay woman, also said, you know, it's really grossly unfair, grossly unfair, because these people don't use the subway. And of mm. course they don't. You know, they don't use public transport, so why should they contribute to it? Right, of um, course. Then this other bloke who sounds like he's a bit out of it, um, an economist called James Parrott, he says the, the subway benefits those who ride it as well as those who deal with the above-ground traffic it alleviates. Plus, it's a matter of fairness, not just to everyday New Yorkers, but to full-time residents of the most exclusive neighbourhoods. Besides, even if demand from non-residents stalls, something he thinks is unlikely, full-time residents will literally fill in the gaps and they'll pay income tax. So there you are. But it, here we are, class warfare against the rich going on. Um, and the best comment, though, came from a bloke called Barry Hirsch, described as a New York University real estate professor and former property developer. He says... Now, are you sitting down, Eugenie? Say yes to that, please. Are you sitting down? Because this is an amazing... I I am sitting down, yeah. This is something we would never, ever have thought of. He said, the very rich really hate taxes. No way. Oh, well, where did that come from? I mean, good God. Oh. And he says it'll have a psychological effect and there'll be a lower number of sales um, you know, <laughs> oh, because they've got to pay effect. tax. They've got to pay oh, tax. And someone else said that what, said all they'll do is they'll buy something for $6,999,000 and not reach the $7 million and, um, and all that. So, mm. But anyway, it's a terrible have thing. have to jump to in think, the um, subway for a, a week to make up the cost. To think you ask the rich to actually pay for uh, things like public transport and mm. public housing, for God's sake. Mm, yeah, outrageous. Oh, wow. And that's, and that's the capital of capitalism. That's why they're screaming. <laughs> New York, New York. Be careful. Yeah, that's right. Do you have? Do you know how things work in Where's, Melbourne? Are we are we taxing very wealthy property buyers? Well, no, I don't think. Well, yeah, property taxes in Victoria make up some amazing percentage of state income, actually. But mm. whether we're fairly taxing the rich against all the other people, because everyone who buys a house pays, whether they're poor or rich or whatever. Mm. Um, I'm not sure the breakdown there would be, but I would think that um, we're probably not taxing them as much as we should. I, mm. would, I wouldn't think that. I'd be, I think it's pretty certain. Sounds like a good follow-up interview to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, where, while people have been screaming in the past couple of weeks about um, the dangers of right-wing racism, etc., um, there's a there's a bit, you know you, you keep wondering because the very people. Um, we have um, the party of um, whatever his name is, uh, Clive Palmer, which is sending a, doing a fair bit of stuff. I get stuff in the letterbox every week now from him about various things. Do you get that? I don't know if you get it or not. But, and he's putting in ads in the paper. Um, but he, he um, came out this week, last week's one, and it's the second time he's done this. Australia's sovereignty is under threat. The Chinese government has secretly built an airport in Western Australia that they control, etc. And it's all very <laughs> anti-Chinese. Even the age in a, in a house ad full page this week had one, if Beijing's ambition affects Australia's future, you deserve to know. Discover how we use hard news to expose soft power. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it's just all a bit building up. You know, there's a really anti-Chinese thing building up. Mm. Well, at the same time, as they're saying we shouldn't have racist uh, comments and we should discourage racism and, and slap it down. And the AFL's doing it at the moment with a couple of footballers being mm. racially vilified. But those sort of things, in my opinion, opinion don't help at all no don't help at um, all and yet what's um, the publication that he's advertising well it's the age in this case themselves yeah, right themselves yeah, you know, right. how they uh do it yeah so interesting yeah i would have thought so but also with clive palmer some weeks ago one of the things he he, he handed out the whole thing claim virtually claimed that 
everything that benefited women in Parliament was achieved by Clive in Parliament. He was a great supporter of women and he did all this stuff for women and what a magnificent man for women, women, women. Now, we're coming. There was an ad this week, we're coming. Your rural Victoria and outer Melbourne teams of United Australia Party candidates with more to come. Every day, people who will put Australia first and there's, there's 12, 13, 14, 15 candidates photographed now, one would think this party that loves women would, or we imagine that if there's 15, there'd be eight women and seven men or seven, eight, or even maybe 12 women and and five men, who knows? But have a look at that. Eugenia, tell me how many women are, are there candidates in there of the 17? Are, are you talking about the picture of the giraffes or are you talking uh, about the other one? Well, it could be the giraffes, but we're looking at the ad for uh, Clive Palmer's party with the 12, 17 phases. Oh, yeah. Now, how yeah. many of those are women again? Just tell me. Um, Two? Two. Two, two out, out of 17. 17. Yeah, this is good. the man who devotes yeah. his life to women. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. to, not to, to, to raising women's um, position <laughs> in society. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. They're also it's, both in the bottom right corner. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Definitely not at the top of the bill. <laughs> I, I thought it was just vaguely interesting, that's all. Mm. And just on that racism thing, um, over in the US, an Alabama newspaper, now Alabama is known as you know Deep, deep South, etc. But recently, um, it called for the Ku Klux Klan to ride again, and um, the, um, the so they then appointed a um, because there was a bit of a backlash to this in the Democrat reporter of Lyndon. <laughs> no way. Um, yes, <laughs> the time for the Ku Klux Klan tonight ride again. Um, an African-American woman was then appointed editor, but she lasted two weeks. She just couldn't stand it. It was too mm, much for us. So. Yeah, they, they got rid of her. Yeah, it's uh, pretty terrifying how stuff like that emerges periodically, you know, both in the States mm-hmm. and other places, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, now, th- I just thought it interesting because we mentioned last week the, the student the student march on the Friday yeah, and how the Herald Sun had turned it into, you know, the tactic and how the students weren't going to get their, in some places, their VCE wasn't going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, the, the morning, uh, the Saturday morning after, I just thought it was vaguely interesting that the Herald Sun led the story, not that, you know, thousands of students marched and how wonderful it was, but Police were forced to order down students who scaled the rooftops of two high-rise buildings as thousands rallied for action on climate change. So again, it was rather... It was about the two that climbed a building rather than the rest who were there right, the protesting same thing, climate change. Um, you know, and, um, and they also, at some stage, somewhere in this story, they say that um, many children admitted they... Here it is. Most students approached by the Herald Sun admitted they didn't understand the issues associated with the Adani mine debate, but oh. hoped attending the protest would send a message. Well, what rubbish. Yeah. What absolute, absolute rubbish. rubbish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who does understand complex economic and environmental issues absolutely yeah. completely? Yeah. I posit not the Herald Sun. <laughs> no, that's right. That's, yeah, that's the, probably the journal had no idea that was yeah. the problem. Yeah, so, uh, so that was that. Um, now... Also, there's been a move to. Um, is, the, is there a guest coming in, by the way? Yeah, he's um, he's here, so oh, well, we can well, chat for a couple more minutes and then get, get him in. Get him whenever in very we're shortly. Ready. Okay. Um, now this is, this is, comes as another surprise too. Following the Royal Commission, there's been a move to have more new principles, corporate governments, governance guidelines. And this will come as a shock to you as well, Eugenie. I know you're going to find this. It's been a morning of surprises, morning Kevin. morning of shocking. Yeah, you've actually, you're looking a bit pallid there at the moment, actually. You seem to be <laughs> totally shocked. But anyway. It's just because I haven't had my coffee yet. <laughs> oh, right. Drinking my tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, updated corporate governance guidelines are, wait for this, unlikely to be effective in changing boardroom culture because they often read as little more than benign motherhood statements, according to a business professor. Well, that is breaking news. Oh, isn't it? Well, I mean, <laughs> I would have thought the whole thing would be a would have thought the whole thing would be um, sorted out once they get those. They'll they'll definitely abide by them as they did before before the Royal Commission <laughs> came along. Reminds me of um, all the council planning strategies I've had to read um, about. Yeah, visions for places around Melbourne and and the kind of bland motherhood statements that they involve. Absolutely meaningless. Yeah, I, I must admit, uh, when I was on council and we got reports from you know various officers and things about something, and particularly on social issues, mostly it was just cliche after cliche. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah totally. Or, you know, aims that are valuable, like um, designing a place that includes everyone or, um, yeah, that's right. you know, environmental yeah. sustainability, but no actual ideas of how so to So you have to build something that can house, say, in Melbourne, three, three and a half million people or something at one time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a big project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So there. And just um, to um, finish up before we go to our guest, uh, the, the, the Reserve Bank came out and said that uh, real wage growth has been keeping pace with labour productivity over the long term, but contrary to union claims, etc. But they also say that for the last seven years there's been solid solid productivity growth. Now, this is a period when bosses are telling us we, we haven't been able to have pay rises because productivity was, was not good enough. Now, in fact, the Reserve Bank says productivity growth has gone up, but wages have stagnated. Uh, but then they say, rather than say, therefore, this must mean that wages could go up now, they say we have to have a long-term view, and long-term view means, I think, start again. Um, but I just want to go now to finish up with Bill um, Shorten, who's the leader of the Labor Party, for those who don't know. Um, Bill Shorten, um, typically of, um, of, of parliamentarians, I suppose, as soon as anything looks like hitting the fan, he just backs down. So he, had, he talked about his living wage, but now he says Labor to hasten slowly on new living wage. Um, and he, he says... Um, he says, in fact, that uh, no person working full-time, etc. But, but he says, and this is the bit I love, um, having talked about how wonderful it'd be, he says that um, if the new living wage will take into account the capacity of businesses to pay and the potential impact on employment, inflation and the broader economy. So before he's even elected... He's, he's it, already it, kind of backtracking. Backed off completely. <laughs> And the unions came out, which we know, a couple of weeks ago and talked about the need, you know, super funds could have a bigger role in, in making sure companies treat work as well, etc. Front page headline in the Fin Review, Shorten slaps down union super bosses. So again, he's uh, backed off on that one. Uh, and again, last week there were, there were complaints that Labor's 46% or whatever it is reduction, um, CO2 reduction, uh, would cost the economy billions and billions and businesses running around saying Labor has to explain itself, it's going to be terrible. The old story that the economy is much more important than, than the planet. the environment, yeah. Um, and uh, so in the middle of all that, federal Labor has opened the door to the use of cheap international carbon permits as part of its climate change policy. In other words, you grow a tree in Indonesia or something. Right. Um, and, um, and you do is it. Is that and how also- the environment works, Kevin? And that's how it works. A tree in Indonesia saves all that saves stuff coming out of you know, That's right. Yeah, yeah it does. That's, I thought you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, speaking so. about the environment, let's take a break and yeah, chat okay. to our guests. Right, yeah.
back on City Limits, everyone. What, what was that music? That was a song called Done by Camp Cope. Sorry, everyone, for right. having to fade yes, it out. Well known. Yeah, great Melbourne band. Um, so we've got James Fraser in the studio. James is from Melbourne Water, and he's the Water Watch Coordinator. And we're going to be talking about your um, Frog Census program. Welcome, James. Well, thanks for having me on. And it's really good timing, this interview. We're uh, about to hit a frog breeding uh, season for the year, autumn breeding, so couldn't be better timing. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so just um, tell us a little bit about frog population in Melbourne and why it's so important to study it. Uh, yeah, well, first I'll just tell you about the program I run, which is Melbourne Water Frog Census. And broadly, Frog Census is a program that works with the community to monitor frog populations across Melbourne and understand how they're doing. And we've got about 1,200 volunteers getting out there and recording frogs. So uh, that's, I guess, the, the program I run. Now, mm. you'd say, why frogs? And, and why am I here from Melbourne Water talking about frogs? Mm. And, in fact, I get paid to talk about frogs, which is pretty great. <laughs> it's a massive privilege, I guess. Uh, you, get, you get our normal 3CR pay, do you? No, it's all gone. <laughs> Look, um, the frogs, there's a lot of reasons to care about frogs, right? And, and probably right at the top, uh, frogs are the most threatened class of vertebrate out there on the planet today. So really? about a third of frog populations are threatened with extinction in our lifetime. That's a, a pretty serious biodiversity crisis, yet it's relatively silent as well. There's not huge mass movements taking part to, to raise this issue. Because mm. uh, so, you hear a lot about like bees and um, various mammals and stuff, but not so much about frogs, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. And really, frogs are a, a really important link in food chains and in ecosystems, right? Uh, frogs have two lives. They're amphibians. They have a, a water-based life as a tadpole where they're performing a range of ecosystem services, keeping our waterways clean, grazing on algae and so on. And then they transfer onto land as an adult. You know, this is... Obviously, <laughs> sorry to uh, you know condescend to your listeners, but I'm sure we all know the uh, frog life cycle. But no, uh, broadly, I, I wouldn't assume so. <laughs> <laughs> broadly, as they move onto land, they become both predator and prey. They predate insect populations, helping control these populations of things like mosquitoes in our wetlands. But then they also provide a food source for things like predatory water birds. So, frogs are really important. And snakes, even don't they? And indeed, yeah, yeah, even snakes, and we have to recognise them as an ecosystem element. Mm. And, uh, so these frogs are supporting a wider ecosystem. So why care about frogs? Well, they're the most threatened class of vertebrate. They're keystone in ecosystems. Now, why does Melbourne water care about frogs? Well, frogs can tell us some great things about the health of our waterways. Frogs, um, some may not know this, frogs can breathe and drink through their skin. So they absorb water through their skin. Now, if you do that, then you're also sensitive to pollution and drought and climate change. So mm. the trajectory of frogs tells us a bit about the wider environmental health. So Melbourne Water, we use frogs. We, we work with community, as I said, to understand their, their population trends. And then we can begin lining that up with some other indicators, the health of vegetation, fish, so on, water quality. And then we'll make an assessment about the health of a waterway. So they're a great surrogate for waterway health. Yeah. Amazing. I was talking to a woman from the Western suburbs yesterday who's quite active out there, um, who said she's there's fewer and fewer frogs that she can see, you can find in that part of the world. And is that happening? That they are declining? Yeah, her experience sadly mirrors the experience of a lot of people across Melbourne, but also globally. Um, frogs populations are not what they have been, and there's a whole range of reasons for that. But probably the the key ones are habitat loss. Mm. Due to urbanisation, yeah. uh, frogs' homes are simply being uh, being destroyed and built over. And another reason is that the spread of a terrible amphibian disease called chytrid fungus. Now that's um, that's decimated frog populations globally, and uh, in Melbourne it's certainly taken its toll. So things are a lot quieter. And if you speak to um, to older scientists, those have been monitoring frogs for many many years. They'll tell you that. Uh, you know, acoustic recordings taken of frog calls at various wetlands are much quieter these days. Tadpoles are less commonly encountered in mm. drains and gutters. And in fact, yeah. even kids' experiences seeing tadpoles, dip netting for tadpoles and so on is is really declining. Well, my generation, we caught tadpoles, that's right, and watched them go into frogs, and their mother got absolutely shocked and the frogs stuck in front of the house. And all this <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Amazing. So, 
Um, did you say frogs breathe through their skin as well? Yeah, as that's that's right. Yeah, they can absorb oxygen through their skin. So once again, they're they're sensitive to um to pollutants as well from the mm. air as well as from the water. Mm. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I should say as well, um, you know, they're very sensitive to drought. Uh, we've we found looking at our data uh, collected by volunteers since two thousand and one when this program started. Uh, a lot of frog populations haven't bounced back since the millennium drought. And now we're faced with the changing climate scenario. So there's mm. good reason to be concerned. Yeah. I mean, the, the west, again, the western suburbs, those western grasslands, which are quite rare, but um, you know, don't, not necessarily attractive, but rare, and they certainly are a habitat for, you know, for really important ecological flora and fauna, but that's disappearing rapidly with new estates going everywhere. I mean, that's part of the thing you're talking about, losing habitat, I guess. And that's, you know, how do you stop that? Because really that is ultimately going to knock a lot of frogs and other, other fauna off. Yeah, look, ma- managing the, um, the growth of Melbourne's a, a great whole of society challenge. I guess uh, from my realm, in terms of um, growling grass frog, the species mm. that is found out west, and yeah. also out north and parts of the southeast, it's, it's declined massively. It's an amazing, iconic species, bright green frog, yes. Melbourne's only real proper bright green. Yeah. Now, this species, yeah. um, fortunately, uh, has had quite a bit of attention, and whilst its, its decline is extremely worrying, there is a, a state government effort in place um, to identify core habitats and prioritise habitats, and then begin doing the planning now prior to any spades going in the ground to to set these areas aside as conservation areas and, and actually establish more uh, habitat for this species too, which I hope will you know ensure its yeah. persistence into the future. Mm. And um, can you give listeners a bit of an idea of where in Melbourne, like what are the areas where there are still frog populations that need to be kind of monitored? Uh, well, the, the great thing about frogs is they're very widespread. So mm. in almost anywhere in Melbourne, you can find frogs. Um, you won't find every single recorded species in Melbourne in any single point, of course, but you'll certainly encounter frogs in, in all areas. In fact, even in extremely urbanised areas, you would really be surprised. Down in Docklands, uh, a couple of our volunteers, they've recorded a southern brown tree frog calling from a a stormwater swale right down in the, the concrete jungle down there. So you're going to encounter them everywhere, but the abundance and diversity of frogs is going to relate to the extent of natural habitat uh, remaining in the area. So mm. once you get out into areas like the Yarra Valley where you've still got a fair bit of water and, and some good patches of wetlands, you'll, you'll get out to some of these wetlands and it's an absolute symphony of species calling. Yeah. Speaking of species, Ham, I mean, any idea how many there are? Do you actually know how many there are around Melbourne, how many different species of frog? There must be thousands possibly, are there? No, there's, uh, there's 16 recorded species in oh, Melbourne. Only 16. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was only going to 98 hours or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, only 16, I would have thought there were more than that. Are, yeah. there, very, are there sort of variations on the, in, within the species or something? Or? Oh, yeah, there's, there's certainly, um, you know, for the taxonomists out there, there's, you know, I guess, subspecies, but there's also hybridisation that occurs between yeah. species as well, which keeps people guessing. Uh, but look, Melbourne, um, by and large, uh, frog diversity is not hugely high compared to, say, Queensland. Um, Victoria has around about 35 recorded species in total. And uh, you go to an area of Brisbane where well, you can record 35 species on one, you know, one small area, effectively. Mm. Yeah. Well, when you do those studies which indicate to you the health of the waterway itself, if it shows the waterway is unhealthy, what, what do you then do about it? Uh, well, what Melbourne Water does is we work with the, the community to effectively uh, identify what the issues are. And we've recently just gone through that process as part of our Healthy Waterways strategy. And that's involved um, getting a lot of community and various other uh, organisations we call stakeholders around the table to actually identify, okay, what's the issues with this waterway? Uh, let's start getting a bit of a vision together for what it could be and realistically assess what we can achieve and then start setting some objectives for it. So that's, that's how we start. So if we, we look at a waterway and go, look, you know, um, some of these, these factors are a bit, uh, bit lower than we expected or um, is not as good as they could be, for example, the, uh, the diversity of frog populations. But, however, there's some really good prospects to build some more habitat here and improve the condition of, 
vegetation along the creek, improve stormwater, well, we can start lifting that up. You know, we can increase uh, maybe species diversity and abundance mm. in that area. What about river flows? I mean, say environmental flows in rivers like the Merribonong, for instance, or some of those. Is that, is that, a, is that on the agenda or is that what happens? Uh, yeah, Melbourne Water's got an uh, environmental water team and, and we, uh, we release um, seasonally environmental water allocations across a number of, of waterways and that's, that's based on maintaining the ecological health of the waterways mm. and allowing the, the movement of um, fish, for example, fish migration and other environmental processes. Yeah. I mean, as far as the current crisis of Murray-Darling goes, it's, it's obviously due to the fact that they've stopped those environmental flows, but we are still hopefully continuing that sort of, uh, that sort of practice. Yeah, within the, the Melbourne region, I, I think you know, there's a, a good uh, focus on ensuring these environmental flows are delivered and we, we prioritise the health of the waterway. Which helps yeah. the frogs, no doubt. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Some of these flows, um, as they, they move down through the systems and they, they begin uh, filling the, the billabongs, so little wetlands adjoining the, the rivers, um, the frog response is amazing. And our volunteers have, have gone out and they've actually gone to a number of these wetlands where environmental water's been delivered and they've recorded beforehand. And the wetlands will have a few frogs, but they're relatively quiet. They're pretty dry. And then uh, after the flow goes in, it's an absolute frog party. It's a cacophony. <laughs> Some of these sites I've, I've been down to. And in fact, one um, volunteer rang me from a site to tell me he was amazed by the response. And I actually put you could, on speakerphone. <laughs> yeah, he did. And I could barely hear him over the sounds of the frogs. It was a mass spawning event. It was music to my ears. Speaking of sounds of frogs, we've got some, haven't we? Yeah, speaking of sounds, we've got a few recordings of uh, common frog species. So I might, might play some of those now. Do you want to introduce... Um, the first one, I think it's called the Lewingi. Uh, yes, so this is the um, the southern brown tree frog. Uh, now, this species is is pretty common across Melbourne, more more so the in the eastern areas, of Melbourne, the southern areas, a bit of the north. Uh, if you were building a frog pond in your garden, this might be one of the more likely ones to turn up. It's a it's a tree frog. All right, let's hear what it sounds like. Yeah, almost went on to the second one. Yeah, yeah so so they're, it's very um, sonorous, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, quite hard on the ears when you got the headphones on, of course. <laughs> um, Sorry, but I'll the, turn uh, it down a bit. The, the southern brown tree frog. Now, um, tree frogs are an amazing um, group of amphibians. Uh, they have adhesive toe pads for climbing, so these things can can get up and over obstacles. People often find them stuck in their windows at night, predating bugs. Uh, mm. And as I said, if you build a frog pond, these things are pretty mobile, so they'll um, they'll often turn up first, and and they're great songsters, and they can sing all year. But but really, um, kicking off from about late winter through to spring, they really sing their hearts out. Amazing! Mm. All right, let's have a listen to another one. Cool. What was that one called? Well, that one you could be forgiven for thinking it's crickets. And, and often people head out to natural areas, wetlands and so on and hear that. But um, it's actually the eastern common froglet. Now, um, another amazing species. It's, it's very common, as its name suggests. It's widely distributed um, through the south and east of Australia. Uh, it's very small. It's only two and a half, three centimetres in size. Um, but it can breed in, in very um, effectively in puddles if it wants. And it's uh the the transition from egg to adult can be very very quick as well it can often take just several weeks so this thing you know breeds fast and something so it's egg in this case yeah yep and uh something that's amazing about this species is within any um clutch of eggs so a batch of eggs laid by a single female there can be um individuals of really quite varying patterns on their back and colors and uh their backs can be either smooth or rough and one hypothesis for this is it, it could um, confuse predators. The predators fail to learn the general body plan of this species. So it's a small little thing, mm. but it's good at surviving. It's pretty robust. They must be it's tiny eggs if the, if the parents are so, so small. Yeah, absolutely. Only a few millimetres. But, but actually probably kind of large-ish in comparison to the body size. So, but yeah. <laughs> cool. Let's listen to the third and final one.
was that one? Yeah, there we have the eastern banjo frog or the the pobble bonk, as some Such people know. Such a beautiful know. noise. Yeah, um, this one, uh, yeah, a lot of um, people love this sound from their dams and wetlands and local parks. And uh, there you've only got a, a few calling, but when you get them calling on mass in a chorus, they're, they're something else. And then it, yeah. it does sound a bit like uh, banjos going off. Now, now this species is um, it's a big big species, several centimetres in size, quite quite stout creature. Um, and it, it generally sort of breeds more towards the, the spring, late spring period, often in mass spawning events. And, and the female lays a, a, a foam egg mass, or more correctly, she lays her eggs and then she um, pushes with her, her forearms um, air bubbles under her body, kicks her back legs and whips up the, the proteins into her a foamy mass, and, and within, within that there's a whole range of interesting antibacterial, antifungal mm. chemicals that protect the eggs and they're pushed mm. in amongst plants on the edge. And um, This frog, sadly, um, is often mistaken for cane toads in Melbourne, which is mm. I find a bit worrying. Um, what it does, right, is it, um, when it's not breeding and often in um, dry months or, or very cold months, it moves away from water and it burrows down into the soil and it likes soft um, loam, sandy loam, and that kind of thing. So, think uh, you know, kids' um, sand pits, uh, raised garden beds, or anything like that. You know, garden beds in general. Uh, so people mm. dig them up in their garden and then go, "Oh no, it's a cane toad." <laughs> I found a cane toad, uh, and then often um, respond by posting that on social media. Yeah. And it's and you have to explain to them somehow that it's actually not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, if you find a frog in your garden, you dig it up. Um, please, you know, I'd, I'd really encourage you like download our Frog Census app. You can get it and um, and identify this species, or um, you know, email us because you're almost certainly not finding a cane toad. Yeah. And the prospect of finding a cane toad in Melbourne is pretty remote, isn't it? I would have thought. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Are there any here? No, there's no no established populations. No. Yeah. No. So tell us more about the app that Melbourne Water have developed. Yeah, right. So the, the app um, broadly is a tool that supports our Frog Census and our Frog Census volunteers. And, and what it is, it's a downloadable mobile phone app. It's on Apple, um, Android, um, completely free. And it allows you to record and report frog calls near you. So anytime you hear any weird sound, it could be a frog, might not. Could just be record a it. Could be a lot. Yeah, maybe a lump. <laughs> yeah. um, you could, uh, yeah, you certainly can record and send these um, calls into us. But it also has a little field guide function with all the frog calls on. So you can sit around the dinner table at night and <laughs> amuse your friends with the frog calls. As, as well. we've just amused listeners, no end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought they were great. Yeah. Oh, they were. I'd, yeah. I'd entertain my friends with frog calls any day. <laughs> And so what do you, uh, what does Melbourne Water do with that information that's collected through the app? Okay, so once we get the report, um, so you, you've got your app out, you hit submit, and uh, straight away that report goes onto a map that anyone can view. It's within the app, so you can view it, you can view reports near you. Um, so straight up it's on there. Then uh, it goes to us and our ecologists verify that report and, um, and uh, you know, make any corrections necessary. It's, uh, you know, that was a, a lawnmower, for example. And then uh, we take that data and we use it to inform our waterway planning. So we, we're drawing on all that water and coming back to uh, how I mentioned the healthy waterway strategy, well, we've, we've um, pulled in all the, that volunteer-collected data in with uh, consultant data and so on, and we analyse it and then begin doing assessments of the health of frog populations across various catchments uh, of Melbourne. Yeah. Mm. So people so, will actually be helping get an idea of the health of Melbourne's waterways through submitting these frog calls. Absolutely. Oh, Every wow. bit of data collected matters. It's all used. And uh, plus we share it to publicly accessible databases as well, the Atlas of Living Australia, mm. which people can Google. So, so what do you want people to do in terms of this census thing? Yes, well, uh, as I said um, when I, I got on the mic, uh, autumn is a great time to get out and record frogs. Um, we've had a little bit of rain recently, so what I'd encourage people to do is, is A, download the app and then review the, the information in there around participating and safety and then get out to your local waterway, your local wetlands, maybe even your garden pond and begin um, listening for and recording frogs uh, or perhaps even pick a site that you go to regularly. Maybe you walk the dog past the wetland every day Start doing some regular recordings there and perhaps even record when you don't hear frogs. You've got that function on the app too. 
Mm. Uh, and in that way, you'll tell us um, when they are and aren't present. Oh, yes. Mm. Least, they're, you can... they're not being there as important as they're being. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 you can track them over time, I guess, once yeah, you have absolutely. several recordings. Yep. Um, have, you, have you been running the app long enough to already have some data to analyse? Is there any kind of conclusions emerging? Yeah, look, well, um, Melbourne Water's had the census running since 2001, and what the app's brought us is a, an enormous increase in records. You know, we've we've gone from, say, getting a maximum of 249 reports a year to uh, a couple of thousand a year. Wow. Uh, now, um, what we can see is is really uh, there's there's a whole range of variable trends, and they 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 vary by area, but at the big picture snapshot. Um, Frogs, I guess, uh, have not bounced back by and large from the millennium drought. So a lot of areas, there's been somewhat of a decline. And uh, we're also noticing some changes in the composition of species in areas too. So uh, we have, for example, a, a species, um, Perrin's tree frog, that's, that's by and large found in river red gum country, um, up more around the Murray and, and heading up the eastern mm. seaboard. Yeah, that's um, increasing in the Melbourne area. There's more and more records of that species that our volunteers are finding. Uh, whether that's an indicator of a change in climate, I don't know. But yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You mentioned about autumn being a great time to do this because of breeding, etc., presumably. Um, but are you noticing there are changes in patterns there, and and, and climate change may be affecting various times when frogs mm. do things. Yeah, absolutely. The the autumns have been drying out without a doubt. Uh, the last few autumns have been quite dry, and we're seeing a you know a decline in frog calls recorded, plus a decline in abundance calling, abundance at sites too, so lesser calling. And for a few species we have in Melbourne, we have, we have a few species actually they lay on land, they lay their eggs on land in little muddy burrows, and then they wait for seasonal rains to fill up that area. Now. Um, they do that in autumn. That's a great mm. strategy if you've got reliable rain, mm. yet what we're finding is that with these autumn rains not coming, mm. these eggs are desiccating, and so we're not getting the records of these species now in some areas in autumn. Yeah. So does that mean some species could, in fact, be in real danger of survival? Look, I, I think um, they are if we don't do something. So if we don't better understand how their population's trending, if we don't find where the most important populations are and then begin putting the work in to protect those populations, then they certainly could be, yeah. 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 Oh, it's, it's damn important work. Mm. And yeah. so are you, are you going on site regularly as part of your role to kind of observe frogs in situ? Oh, look, I, I wish I could regale you with uh, tales of field work out there with the head, head torch on, but uh, sadly I'm, I'm by and large uh, desk bound. Um, right. But that, that said, I, I'm pretty excited. I'm getting out tonight to check some sites with some uh, rare and declining frog species. So uh, fingers crossed we'll pick them up. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I've got a friend who actually goes to rallies wearing a growling grass frog outfit. Um, and she does, she's really concerned about the Western western um, grasslands etc and she goes mothing out there and everything else but we in fact we wrote a, we did a play a few years ago wrote a play of setting up local government and at the end of it the grass frog became the mayor if i recall but anyway uh, yeah, oh, no, i'd uh, second that nomination <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. <laughs> 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 got rid of all the corruption but uh, yeah so they are um, they are damn important out there because as you said earlier they they really do reflect on the the health of the whole environment don't they yeah, absolutely. They're they're a wonderful environmental indicator. They're pretty easy to monitor because they're loud. Um, some would say they're extremely loud if you've got a pond next to your window. Um, so they're they're easily detectable, and we can we can begin understanding these trends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I just take you because um, we're running out of time? Because an area you mightn't want to go to, um, but um, we had someone from Melbourne Water in last year talking uh, talking specifically about the damage to Stony Creek from that massive fire. And recent reports are that it hasn't improved at all. It is still pretty damaged. And, uh, in fact, people around it are showing signs of illness. Now, that's outside your area. But but uh, do, are you up to date with what's happening at Stony Creek at all and, and whether it's whether it is getting healthier? Oh, look, no, I'm actually um, glad you brought Stony Creek up. I'm, I'm not um, involved in the work around the uh, the assessment of waterway health and, and those measures, but we've got some fantastic volunteers out there on Stony Creek, um, junior park rangers programs, um, 
there's a, a kinder clerk called kinder and and what's been happening is the, these people have been monitoring frogs even before this recent pollution event mm. and they they're greatly um well, they greatly love the local frogs there they're the pobble bonks or banjo frogs and post pollution they decided to take action and uh speaking with them they said let's start building some frog ponds right let's get some some habitat that's what we call offline it's not connected to the waterway there's no chance of pollution flowing in mm. well They've gone and built some um, frog ponds, including one in a kinder, and now our volunteers have sending these reports on the app, and they've found frogs have moved in and colonised that pond, um, and we're seeing juvenile um, pobble bonks moving around. So even those pollution events occurred, there is still frogs there, and breeding has been confirmed there. And, and even better, there's a good example of what community can do to um, to conserve frogs in that environment. And, us at Melbourne Water, we've been supporting the community to get these ponds in and uh, we will be, you know, working to maintain a, a frog yeah, focus. Well, that's great news because I went down and inspected it not long after the fire with a friend who knows the area well and um, she said it was just devastating. I mean, I could see it was, but that, you know, frogs and every, all the other forms of life that had always been there just had disappeared at that stage, but yeah. No, it's, just, it's terrible yeah. to see these yeah. pollution events unfold. It, it really is. Yeah, and there's been, of course, in, there's been stories in the last couple of weeks about toxic waste piles all over Melbourne and factories with all these chemicals in them. Now, ultimately, these must be posing a threat to uh, to waterways as well, which you'd have to, not you generally, but Melbourne Water generally would have to keep monitoring and hoping to prevent the, the ultimate the desperate action happening, the accident happening, if it's an accident. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, once again, a little bit out of my frog area, but... Uh yeah, I guess what I'd say is, you know, we, we have a whole of societal um, need to address pollution and, and mm. begin reducing it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, many agencies have a role to play there, the community and, and so on as well. And, you know, we we need to have a strong focus on improving the health of our waterways. Mm. And just to finish up, the other one this week um, report that our, our reservoirs are very low by, by, by this time of year's standards. Uh, that's, that goes back to the problem of rain, of course, but uh, is it a major problem at the moment? Uh, yeah, look, um, our, our water storage is, is quite low. Uh, the, the last stat I saw a few days ago was approximately 54%. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we all need to be concerned. We all need to consider how we can conserve water in, in any way, and uh, this is really mirroring, um, you know, wider climate trends that are occurring as well. And, you know, going back to frogs, it, it sort of comes back to that. Uh, their own water storages, their own mini dams, so their habitats that they live in are, are uh, beginning to dry up too. And our volunteers using frog census are, are literally sending in their reports in the field going, hey, this wetland I go to every year for 10 years has is, is been dry the past mm. couple of years mm. in autumn. It's That's a real so worry, sad. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So just, well, that app again people can get onto just so if they want to help you out and... Uh, and yeah, stuff what's, just... what's it called and how do people download it? Yeah, Melbourne Water Frog Census. So just, just plug in Frog Census and uh, you'll, you'll bring up that app and you also bring up our webpage. It's got a whole bunch of extra resources on there, how to build a frog pond and how to understand frog habitats and so on. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for coming in, James. It's been really interesting. Excellent. No, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Right, yeah. What's on next week, Kevin? Next week's Transport. All right. And yeah. Stay, stay John tuned McPherson, over. and um, I think there was some other special guest we were going to have on next week, but I've forgotten totally who it is. But <laughs> but it'll be next week. But certainly John McPherson and our regular monthly discussion on transport in Melbourne. Great. All right. Thanks for listening, okay. everyone, and stay tuned for Anarchist World this week. Yeah.